0: Well, good morning. It's great to be with you today. If you have a copy of the Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, as you're turning there, let me just extend a word of welcome, particularly to any guests that we might have uh, with us today. Thank you so much for being here. We're honored that you have chosen to uh, worship with us. We're in the middle of a sermon series that we're calling Brand New, uh, where we have been looking at some of the verbs, some of the actions, if you will, that begin to fire or activate in the person who experiences new life in Jesus Christ. Uh, so far, we've looked at what it means to abide in Christ, John 15. We looked at what it means to engage with God's word from Psalm 19. And then last week, we were in Psalm 100 talking about what it means to rejoice in worship. And this morning, uh, we come to another spiritual activity that I believe is one of the most vital parts of the believer's life, communicating with God. We're talking about the matter of prayer. Uh, Douglas Sweeney, who is dean at Beeson Divinity School here in Birmingham, in an article that came out just this past week entitled, Can Evangelicals Be Bothered to Pray, said this, Christians have long struggled to exercise their most astounding privilege, permission to approach the throne of grace and talk to God. He went on to cite a survey by Pew Research which revealed that fewer than half of U.S. adults say that they pray daily, and only 2%, 2% indicated that they are very satisfied with their prayer life. And so that begs the question, why is prayer so hard? Paul Miller, in his book, A Praying Life, he talks about this. One reason that prayer is hard is because at the end of the day, we wonder sometimes what good it really does. After all, if God is sovereign, and He is, Am I, little old me, going to really influence his work or change his mind? Another reason that Miller says prayer is hard is because in the broader culture and in our churches, we prize intellect, competency, and wealth. Because we can do life without God, prayer seems nice but unnecessary. Money can do what prayer does. And it's quicker and less time-consuming. Our trust in ourselves and in our talents makes us structurally independent of God. As a result, exhortations to pray don't stick. With that, it's a wonder we pray much at all, isn't it? And the reality is perhaps some of us don't. So what is prayer? I want to provide for us a working definition that will hopefully put us all on the same page and serve as a track for us as we move along this morning. Prayer is communication with God that demonstrates our complete dependency on Him and provides an avenue to access and appeal to His character and authority. It's a lot there, but we'll see it unpacked and fleshed out uh, as we move along. But with that as our reference point, let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, and see what the Apostle Paul says to the church then and, and also to us today. Verse 18. The word of God says, "Pray at all times in the spirit." with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Now, the picture that is being painted here at the end of this letter is that of a soldier preparing for battle, a spiritual battle. In fact, if you'll look up at verse 11 of chapter 6, Paul instructs the believer to Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. He's saying to them, be ready. You're going to need these things in order to survive. And so he suits up the soldier with spiritual equipment. And this discipline of prayer is his exclamation point in verse 18. Now, it's worth noting that Paul's exhortation to pray here is strengthened by the example that he himself has already established in this letter. So, he's not telling them to do something that he's not already doing himself. Uh, Turn a few pages back to chapter 1, chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Paul says this, "'This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus,' And your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. And then he proceeds to do that. And he prays that they would have wisdom and spiritual insight. And then look at chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 14, Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. And he goes on and he prays that they might have spiritual power and understanding of the love of God. So suffice it to say, Paul believes in prayer. He practices what he preaches. And so this morning, as we think about this fundamental activity in the life of the believer, we're going to spend our time unpacking this one verse from God's Word and answer three important prayer questions. And the first is this, how? How should I pray? Now one mistake might be to think that what Paul is describing here is a way to pray. But I want to suggest to you this morning that what Paul is giving us instead is the way to pray. So, what in the world does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Now, some want to tie this to the idea of speaking in tongues, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. And so, let's do a little bit of work uh, in our text and understand what he he is talking about. All right, first of all, think about what we read when we turn to John chapter 4. Many of you are familiar with the story. Jesus is talking with the woman at the well, and a question comes up about a place of worship. And Jesus says to her, an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. What Jesus is explaining to her is that it's only those who are born again and receive the Holy Spirit of God that can worship God at all. In other words, it's only in the Spirit, by the Spirit, and through the Spirit that worship and prayer happen. Now, hold your place right here and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Because if we add to Jesus' words in John 4 what Paul says about our relationship with Christ in Romans 8, well, now we can begin to connect the dots, all right? Look at verse 6 of Romans 8. Now, the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile toward God because it doesn't submit to God's law. He's talking about a spiritual mindset here. And so when you have the Spirit of God living in you, guess what? You have the mind of the Spirit. And so God wants you and me to think spiritually, not secularly. He wants us to think biblically, not worldly. He wants us to have the mind of Christ, not the mind of man. But then look down in verse 9 of Romans 8. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. There's that phrase again. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. What Paul is teaching is that our belonging to God's family is what happens when we turn from our sin and we put our faith in Jesus. So when you become brand new and you begin to pray, check this out, you are not communicating with a God that is just out there somewhere. No, you are actually from the depth of your heart saying, Father, I call out to you today because you have adopted me as your child and you have placed your spirit within me. And it's because you have done this for me and made me your child that I can approach you in this way. Think about it. The unbeliever doesn't refer to God as father. Why is that? because it's a term of endearment uniquely reserved for the child of God, for the born-again Christian. There are only two people in this world that get to call Dennis Blythe, dad, and it means something. Their names are Becca and Braden. And when one of their names pops up on my phone, it has a different kind of effect on me than when yours does because I'm their father. Let me sum it up this way. If you're a Christian, if at some point in your life you became brand new in Jesus, your adoption into the family of God became the foundation of your prayer and the basis Of your asking. Now, if we're not careful, we might also think about this idea of praying in the Spirit as some sort of mystical or emotional approach to prayer in the Spirit. And we miss an incredibly important part of what it means. So I want to encourage you to think about it like this to pray in the Spirit is to be prompted, enabled, and guided by the Word of God. See, when we understand the relationship between being filled up with the Holy Spirit that Paul talks about in Ephesians 5 and what he says in Colossians 3 about letting the Word of Christ dwell richly in us, Well, then we understand the necessity of word and prayer working together. And if a spiritual mindset comes from spiritual words, and if spiritual words come from the Scripture, then praying in the Spirit means we pray consistent with the Word of God. Listen, you and I can't pray the way we ought to pray unless we know the Word and are in the Word. But if you'll do that, if you'll do that, I want you to see what will happen to your praying. Let's look at a few examples. Instead of praying a prayer like this, God, be with my family today. And probably all of us at one time or another have prayed a prayer like that. God, be with my family today. What if instead you took a a small portion of Colossians 1 and prayed that for your family, and then it sounds like this. Lord, fill our family with wisdom and spiritual understanding today so that we might walk worthy of you. Lord, we desire to bear fruit in every good work, and we want to grow in our knowledge of you. Friends, that's a different kind of prayer. Instead of praying that your teenager would simply make good choices, pray the words of James 1.5, and it sounds like this, God, you tell us in your word that if anyone lacks wisdom, and Lord, you know that's him right now, that we should ask you for it. So because you are a God who has infinite wisdom, Lord, we would pray that this week you would give it to him generously. When you pray for a friend, for instance, who is convicted of sin that she's been entangled in, put some Psalm 51 into your praying. And it sounds like this, Father, I pray that you would bring my dear sister to a point of recognizing that she has sinned against you and that she needs a clean heart that only you can provide. And Father, as she turns to you, would you restore the joy of her salvation? Instead of asking God to bless all the missionaries around the world, Let Psalm 67 give you some words. God, use our friends on the field so that your way may be known on earth, that your saving power might be known among the nations. Do you see how that works? The Word of God will transform your prayers. So, how do we pray? We pray in the Spirit and. We also see this encouragement to be alert and to pray with all perseverance. I don't know about you, but staying committed to prayer is incredibly difficult, isn't it? It's kind of like a workout program. Starts and stops, spurts of motivation followed by slumps of inactivity, And then once you miss a few times, it can be really hard to get back on track. If you read Ephesians 6.18 in the, the context of a spiritual battle, you can't help but hear an echo of what Paul said to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. I'm going to put it on the screen for us. He said, I know that after my departure... Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Therefore, be on alert. He's saying, pay attention. Stay awake. Be watchful. Because this is going to be key in your ability to persevere. And I think one of the reasons that we're often tempted to to quit or give up in our praying is that we don't see an immediate response, right? Have you ever been there? No, I have. And, and in a world of instant gratification, uh, smartphones and the internet and all of that, that, that doesn't help. You know, there used to be a day when you would write a letter to someone thousands of miles away And it would take several days to get there, then a few days for it to be read and for the person to write you back, and then perhaps several more days before it returned in your mailbox. And so you understood what it meant to wait for a response. Well, now a message can travel that same distance You can look at your device and see that it has been delivered within a matter of seconds and you wonder why it's taking so long to get a response. Have you ever prayed a prayer that sounded like the psalmist in Psalm 13? How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns? How long will my enemy dominate me? God, are you up there? Hello? So, what do you do? How do you deal with the fact that God doesn't seem to be answering? There are two options. You can give up, or you can persevere. And when you persevere, friend, you can do so knowing that God loves you, that He knows exactly where you are, that He superintends the affairs of the entire universe, and you can have confidence that His ways and His timing are always Best. A well, second question, key question that's answered for us in Ephesians 6 is when? When should I pray? And I think consistency in prayer, if we're honest, is probably something that we, we all wrestle with. So, when do you usually pray? And I'm not necessarily referring to a time of day because I don't think that's what Paul is referring to. My guess is there are probably very few of us here today, if any, that don't pray in times of difficulty when life, particularly your life, gets hard, right? I would go a step further and I would say, I think there are people who aren't even sure they believe in God. That when things get bad enough, they resort to prayer of some kind. That they just need help. But friends, listen closely. If our prayer life is active only when life gets desperate we are missing out on one of the most potent and valuable resources the Lord has given to the believer. What Paul is saying when he commands us to pray at all times is to pray on every kind of occasion. And again, in the context of this passage, which is spiritual battle, Paul is saying to the believer, bombard the heavenlies with prayer. But so often, that's not what we do. Instead, we toss a little grenade prayer over the wall and hope for the best. And if nothing happens, we might toss another over a few weeks later. But when a country is at war, they don't launch one missile They bombard and they pound relentlessly one after another, after another, after another. Why? Because that's what keeps the enemy at bay. So if life is great, pray. If life is in the gutter, pray. If you're in church, pray. If you're swamped and stressed at work, pray. If it's early in the morning, pray. If you've got time in the car, pray. If you're with friends, pray. If you're on vacation, pray. And if you're under spiritual attack, Paul says, pray. But Dennis, I don't feel like praying. What should I do? Pray. Tell God you don't feel like praying because when you do that, do you know what's happening? You're praying. Paul told the Thessalonians in his first letter to them, he said, pray without ceasing. But is constant prayer really possible? Yes and no. I don't think what Paul is talking about is a non-stop running dialogue every minute of the day. It's not so much an articulation of words, but rather a posture of the heart. Here's the reality. The more intimate your relationship with God is, the more natural it's going to be for you to pray. So I've recently taken up swimming as one of my main forms of exercise these days. And I'm not a great swimmer by any stretch, but but I am kind of enjoying it. It's, It's a great workout. It's easy on the joints, right? You don't sweat, so that's a bonus. But maybe best of all, my phone can't come into the pool with me. And so I get one hour that I can disconnect from the rest of the world. But one of the things that I learned early on is how important it is to breathe. Sounds obvious, right? I read one article and the guy began by saying, breathing in whilst underwater is still not possible for humans. Like, okay, thanks for the tip. But what I've learned is that there are right ways and wrong ways. Efficient ways, inefficient ways to breathe in the water. There's a, a rhythm, you might say, to breathing as you swim. You might be a every third stroke breather. You might be one who breathes every fourth stroke. But the key is this, you're always Breathing. And so for me, I'm a fourth stroke guy. And so on strokes one, two, and three, I'm slowly exhaling, emptying my lungs. Why? So that on that fourth stroke, I'm ready for a full breath. And it's this rhythm. And breathing is to swimming as prayer is to the Christian life. In fact, it was Martin Luther who said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. The successful swimmer is always breathing. The healthy Christian is always praying. So follower of Jesus your life ought to have a continuous rhythm of exhaling and inhaling, talking to God and hearing from God, and talking to God and hearing from God. And the reality is some of you are stuck in the deep end of life and you're holding your spiritual breath just hoping you make it to the edge. Allow the Spirit of God and the Word of God to pump breath into your soul and then find that rhythm of steadily, regularly talking with a God who's always listening. Paul Miller says, a praying life isn't simply a morning prayer time. It is about slipping into prayer at odd hours of the day, not because we are disciplined, but because we are in touch with our own poverty of spirit, realizing that we can't even walk through a mall or our neighborhood without the help of the Spirit of Jesus. Pray at all times. So how should I pray? When should I pray? And finally, what should I pray? And the what of our praying is actually connected to the when of our praying. Think about it. A continual rhythm of prayer means that you are praying on all kinds of occasions, and that in turn is going to bring great variety to your praying. One of the great verses on prayer in all of the Bible is Psalm 50, verse 15 where God says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Have you ever had one of those, a day of trouble? Because the word says that every day of trouble is an opportunity to glorify God. The Lord tells us that when we cry out to God and we appeal to Him to act or to respond or to help or to rescue, guess what? We bring glory to His name. And when He answers prayer and He works in the lives of the people that you've been praying for, He gets glory. And when He comforts the grieving when he heals the sick, when he provides income unexpectedly for a family, when he rescues a friend from addiction, he gets the glory because he did the work. I love what commentator James Montgomery Boyce says, what makes prayer so important is that the weakest Christian can at any period of his life, at any moment of the day, And in any circumstance, cry out to God for help and instantly have the resources of the infinite, sovereign God at his disposal. He wants us to come to him with every kind of prayer and request. God wants us to express our dependence on him. He wants us Listen, he wants us to hold him to his word. He wants us to appeal to his character. One of the things that we notice when we study Paul's example and instruction on prayer is is we notice the absence of many of the things that become the focus of our prayers, right? Right? All too often, our prayers reveal what we are truly preoccupied with, namely, ourselves. And when we see prayer only in that limited way, primarily focused on our needs and our benefit, then we recognize that's kind of the way that a non-Christian thinks about prayer. And we're missing out on some of the things that are very near to the heart of God. Think about it. An unbeliever, if they have any concept of prayer or inclination to do anything that looks like praying, that's how they view it. It's like a heavenly ATM where you get God to give you stuff and do things for you and get you out of a bind. And it's all self-focused. But notice what, call, what Paul is calling believers to do is to look beyond themselves to the needs of who? All the saints. Not some of the saints, all the saints. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think this is one of the places where for many of us prayer begins to get hard. But notice, God is calling us to an others-centered way of praying. He uses the word intercede or intercession here, which means to intervene on behalf of someone else. Question, how much of our praying sounds like that? And then, he gives the church an incredible opportunity to put it into practice. And so as we wrap up this morning, look down at verses 19 and 20 of Ephesians 6. Paul says, Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak it as I should. The Apostle Paul, first team, all missionary, master wordsmith, yet he knew, he knew he needed God's help if he was going to be effective in proclaiming the gospel, And he said, church, I need you to pray for me. Pray for the advancement of the gospel. Pray that the good news of Jesus would come off my lips when I opened my mouth and that I would speak it clearly and fearlessly. Have you ever prayed for another Christian in that way? Have you ever asked someone to pray for you In that way. It was in the book of Acts, the earliest Christian leaders, along with just over 100 or so followers of Jesus, that were praying and waiting. Praying and waiting. Talking to God, hearing from God. Talking to God hearing from God when the Spirit of God showed up and thousands came to faith in Christ that day. Friends, that's how prayer works. That's how God works. So how should I pray? In the Spirit. According to the word, alert with all perseverance. When should I pray? At all times, on every occasion. What should I pray? Every prayer and request, and for all the saints, and especially for the spread of the gospel. So what about you? Where would you fall in the survey? that I mentioned at the beginning of our time? Are you among the, the 2% who would say regarding your prayer life, I am very satisfied? If so, praise God, we need to hang out, right? Or like me, are you in the other 98% that would say, you know, My prayer life has some room to grow. Well, if that's you, uh, I've put there at the bottom of your notes page five questions that are intended for you to take away uh, this afternoon, this evening, on into this week. And my challenge and encouragement to you is to spend some time reflecting on those and even, yes, praying about those and considering what... Changes, adjustments, steps of progress the Lord might lead you to make. And as you do that, may God give you uh, and me uh, much grace, develop in us the desire, the drive, the discipline for a dynamic, vibrant, praying life.